Chapter 14 of Hopalong Cassidy's Roundup. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Stacy Dugan Wilcox. Hopalong Cassidy's Roundup by Clarence Edward Mulford. Chapter 14 The Tale of a Cigarette. The open door revealed three men asleep on the earthen floor two of whom were Mexicans. Mr. Cassidy then, for the first time, felt called upon to relieve his companion of the colts which so sorely itched that gentleman's thigh, and then disarmed the sleeping guards. "'One man and a half,' murmured Mr. Cassidy, it being in his creed that it took four Mexicans to make one Texan. In the far corner of the room were two broncos, one of which tried in vain to kick Mr. Cassidy, not realizing that he was ten feet away. The noise awakened the sleepers, who sat up and then sprang to their feet, their hands instinctively streaking to their thighs for the weapons which peeked contentedly from the bosom of Mr. Cassidy's open shirt. One of the Mexicans made a lightning-like grab for the back of his neck for the knife which lay along his spine, and was shot in the front of his neck for his trouble. The shot spoiled his aim, as the knife flashed past Mr. Cassidy's arm, wide by two feet, and thudded into the door-frame, where it hummed angrily. "'The only man who could do that right was the man who invented it, Mr. Bowie of Texas,' explained Mr. Cassidy to the other Mexican. Then he glanced at the bronco, that was squealing in rage and fear at the shot, which sounded like a cannon in the small room, and laughed. <laughs> "'That's my cayuse, all right.' and he wasn't up no cactus nor roosting on the roof, neither. He's the most affectionate beast I ever saw. It took me nigh on to six months before I could ride him without fighting him to a standstill, said Mr. Cassidy to his guest. Then he turned to the horse and looked it over. Come here. What do you mean acting that away? you ragged into nothing wobbling in space, you wall-eyed ornery low-code guide to Hades? Or you won't be so frisky when you've made them seventy hot miles between here and Alkaline in five hours, he promised, as he made his way toward the animal. Mr. Treven walked over to the opposite wall and took down a pouch of tobacco which hung from a peg. He did this in a manner suggesting ownership, and after he had deftly rolled a cigarette with one hand, he put the pouch in his pocket and, lighting up, inhaled deeply and with much satisfaction. Mr. Cassidy turned around and glanced the group over, wondering if the tobacco had been left in the hut on a former call. "'Did you find your makin's?' he asked, with a note of congratulation in his voice. "'Yep. Want one?' asked Mr. Treven. Mr. Cassidy ignored the offer, and turned to the guard whom he had found asleep. "'Is that his tobacco?' he asked, and the guard, anxious to make everything run smoothly, told the truth and answered, "'Sure, he left it here last night,' whereupon Mr. Treven swore, and Mr. Cassidy smiled grimly. "'Then you knows how your cayuse got in, and how mine got out,' said the latter. "'I wish you would explain,' he added, fondling his colts. Mr. Treven frowned, and remained silent. "'I can tell you, anyhow,' continued Mr. Cassidy, still smiling, but his eyes and jaw belied the smile." You took them cayuses out because you wanted yourn to be found in their places. You remembered Santa Fe, and it rankled you. 
not being man enough to notify me that you'd shoot on sight and being afraid my friends would get you if you plugged me on the sly you tried to make out that me and red rustled your cayuses that meant a lynching with me and red in the places of honor you never saw red afore but you didn't care if he went with me you don't deserve fair play but i'm going to give it to you because i don't want anybody to say that any of the bar twenty ever murdered a man not even a skunk like you my friends have treated me too square for that you can take this gun and you can do one of three things with it which are walk out in the open a hundred paces and then turn and walk toward me after you face me you can set it a-going whenever you want to the second is put it under your hat and i'll put mine and the others back by the cayuses then we'll toss up and the lucky man gets it to use as he wants the third is shoot yourself mr cassidy punctuated the close of his ultimatum by handing the weapon muzzle first and because the other might be an adept at twirling he kept its recipient covered during the operation then placing his second colts with the captured weapons he threw them through the door being very careful not to lose the drop on his now armed prisoner mr trevenne looked around and wiped the sweat from his forehead and being an observant gentleman took the preferred weapon and walked to the east directly toward the sun which at this time was halfway to the meridian the glare of its straight rays and those reflected from the shining sand would in a measure bother mr cassidy and interfere with the accuracy of his aim and he was always thankful for small favors mr trevenne was the possessor of accurate knowledge regarding the lay of the land and the thought came to him that there was a small but deep hole out toward the east and that it was about the required distance away this had been dug by a man who had labored all day in the burning sun to make an oven so that he could cook mesquite root in the manner he had seen the apaches cook it mr trevenne blessed hobbies specific and general stumbled thoughtlessly and disappeared from sight as the surprised mr cassidy started forward to offer his assistance upon emphatic notification from the man in the hole that his help was not needed mr cassidy wheeled around and in great haste covered the distance separating him from the hut whereupon mr trevenne swore in self-congratulation and regret mr cassidy's shots barked a cactus which leaned near mr trevenne's head and flecked several clouds of alkali near that person's nose causing him to sneeze duck and grin it's his own gun grumbled mr cassidy as a bullet passed through his sombrero having in mind the fact that his opponent had a whole belt full of forty fours if it had been mr cassidy's gun that had been handed over he would have enjoyed the joke on mr trevenne who would have had five cartridges between himself and the promised eternity as he would have been unable to use the forty fours in mr cassidy's forty five while the latter would have gladly consented to the change having as he did an extra forty five never before had mr cassidy looked with reproach upon his forty-five caliber colts and he sighed as he used it to notify mr trevenne that arbitration was not to be considered which that person endorsed said endorsement passing so close to mr cassidy's ear that he felt the breeze made by it he's been practicing since i plugged him up in santa fe thought mr cassidy as he retired around the hut to formulate a plan of campaign mr trevenne sang highly high low and other selections principally others and wondered how mr cassidy could hoist him out 
The slack of his belt informed him that he was in the middle of a fast, and suggested starvation as the derrick that his honorable and disgusted adversary might employ. Mr. Cassidy, while figuring out his method of procedure, absent-mindedly jabbed a finger in his eye, and the ensuing tears floated an idea to him. He had always had great respect for ricochet shots, since his friend Skinny Thompson had proved their worth on the hides of Sioux. If he could disturb the sand and convey several grains of it to Mr. Treven's eyes, the game would be much simplified. While planning for the proposed excavation, a la Colts, he noticed several stones lying near at hand, and a new and better scheme presented itself for his consideration. If Mr. Treven could be persuaded to get out of, well, it was worth trying. Mr. Cassidy lined up his gloomy collection, and tersely ordered them to turn their backs to him and to stay in that position, the suggestion being that if they looked around, they wouldn't be able to dodge quickly enough. He then slipped bits of his lariat over their wrists and ankles, tying wrists to ankles and each man to his neighbor. That finished to his satisfaction, he dragged them in the hut to save them from the burning rays of the sun. Having performed this act of kindness, he crept along the hot sand, taking advantage of every bit of cover afforded, and at last he reached a point within a hundred feet of the besieged. During the trip, Mr. Treven sang to his heart's content, some of the words being improvised for the occasion, and were not calculated to increase Mr. Cassidy's respect for his own wisdom, if he should hear them. Mr. Cassidy heard, however, and several fragments so forcibly intruded on his peace of mind that he determined to put on the last verse himself and to suit himself. Suddenly, Mr. Treven poked his head up and glanced at the hut. He was down again so quickly that there was no chance for a shot at him, and he believed that his enemy was still sojourning in the rear of the building, which caused him to fear that he was expected to live on nothing as long as he could and then give himself up. Just to show his defiance, he stretched himself out on his back and sang with all his might, his sombrero over his face to keep the glare of the sun out of his eyes. He was interrupted, however, forgot to finish a verse as he had intended, and jumped to one side as a stone bounced off his leg. Looking up, he saw another missile curve into his patch of sky and swiftly bear down on him. He avoided it by a hair's breadth and wondered what had happened. Then what Mr. Trevin thought was a balloon, being unsophisticated in matters pertaining to aerial navigation, swooped down upon him and smote him on the shoulder and also bounced off. Mr. Trevin hastily laid music aside and took up elocution as he dodged another stone and wished that the mesquite-loving crank had put on a roof. In evading the projectile, he let his sombrero appear on a level with the desert, and the hum of a bullet as it passed through his headgear and into the opposite wall made him wish that there had been constructed a cellar also. Highly, high-low, intruded upon his ear, as Mr. Cassidy got rid of the surplus of his heart's joy. Another stone the size of a man's foot shaved Mr. Treven's ear, and he hugged the side of the hole nearest his enemy. Hibernate, blank you! derisively shouted the human catapult as he released a chunk of sandstone the size of a quail. "'Draw in your legs and buck!' was his godspeed to the missile. "'Hey, you!' indignantly yowled Mr. Treven from his defective storm cellar. "'Don't you know any better than to heave things that away?' "'Highly, high-low!' sang Mr. Cassidy, 
as another stone soared aloft in the direction of the complainant. Then he stood erect and awaited results with the colts in his hand leveled at the rim of the hole. A hat waved, and an excited voice bit off chunks of expostulation and asked for an armistice. Then two hands shot up, and Mr. Treven, sore and disgusted and desperate, popped his head up and blinked at Mr. Cassidy's gun. "'You was filling the hole up!' remarked Mr. Treven in an accusing tone, hiding the real reason for his evacuation. "'When a little while I'd have been the top of a pile instead of the bottom of a hole,' he announced, crawling out and rubbing his head. Mr. Cassidy grinned, and ordered his prisoner to one side while he secured the weapon which lay in the hole. Having obtained it as quickly as possible, he slid it in his open shirt and clambered out again. "'You remind me of a feller I used to know,' remarked Mr. Treven, as he led the way to the hut, trying not to limp. "'Only he throwed dynamite. That was the way he cleared off chaparral. Blowed it off. He got so used to heaving away everything he lit that he spoiled three pipes in two days.' Mr. Cassidy laughed at the fiction, and then became grave as he pictured Mr. Connors sitting on the rock and facing down a line of men, any one of whom was capable of his destruction if given the interval of a second. When they arrived at the hut, Mr. Cassidy observed that the prisoners had moved considerably. There was a cleanly swept trail four yards long where they had dragged themselves, and they sat in the end nearer the guns. Mr. Cassidy smiled and fired close to the Mexican's ear, who lost in one frightened jump a little of what he had so laboriously gained. "'You'll wear out your pants,' said Mr. Cassidy, and then added grimly, "'And my patience.' Mr. Treven smiled and thought of the man who so ably seconded Mr. Cassidy's efforts and who was probably shot by this time. The outfit of the Bar 20 was so well known throughout the land that he was aware the name of the other was Red Connors. An unreasoning streak of sarcasm swept over him, and he could not resist the opportunity to get in a stab at his captor. "'Maybe your pard has wore out somebody's patience, too,' said Mr. Treven, suggestively and with venom. His captor wheeled toward him, his face white with passion, and Mr. Treven shrank back and regretted the words. "'I ain't shootin' dogs this here trip,' said Mr. Cassidy, trembling with scorn and anger, "'so you can pull yourself together. I'll give you another chance, but you wants to hope almighty hard that Red is okay. If he ain't, I'll blow you so many ways at once that if you sprouts, you'll make a good acre of weeds. If he is all right,' You'd better vamoose this range, for there won't be no hole for you to crawl into next time. What friends you have left will have to tote you off and plant you, he finished with emphasis. He drove the horses outside, and after severing the bonds on his prisoners, lined them up. You, he began, indicating all but Mr. Treven. You amble right smart toward Canada, pointing to the north. Keep a-going till you gets far away enough so a colt won't find you. Here he grinned with delight, as he saw his sharp's rifle in its sheath on his saddle, and drawing it forth, he put away his colts, and glanced at the trio, who were already industriously plodding northward. "'Hey!' he shouted, and when they sullenly turned to see what new idea he had found, he gleefully waved his rifle at them and warned them further. "'This is a sharp's, and it's good for half a mile, so don't stop none too soon.' 
Having sent them directly away from their friends so they could not have him potted on the way back, he mounted his bronco and indicated to Mr. Treven that he too was to ride, watching that that person did not make use of the Winchester which Mr. Connors was foolish enough to carry around on his saddle. Winchesters were Mr. Cassidy's pet aversion and Mr. Connors' most prized possession, this difference of opinion having upon many occasions caused hasty words between them. Mr. Connors, being better with his Winchester than Mr. Cassidy was with his sharps, had frequently proved that his choice was the wiser, but Mr. Cassidy was loyal to the sharps and refused to be convinced. Now, however, the Winchester became pregnant with possibilities, and therefore Mr. Treven rode a few yards to the left and in advance, where the rifle was in plain sight, hanging as it did on the right of Mr. Connor's saddle, which Mr. Treven graced so well. The journey back to town was made in good time, and when they came to the buildings, Mr. Cassidy dismounted and bade his companion do likewise, there being too many corners that a fleeing rider could take advantage of. Mr. Trevend felt of his bumps and did so, wishing hard things about Mr. Cassidy. End of chapter 14. Recording by Stacy Dugan Wilcox.